Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. Glad you are here with us as we're talking about financial matters. Both myself and my co-host, we're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. Essentially, we've been doing this stuff a long time. Yes. Doing this program a long time. 30 years. 20, uh, Is that right? Almost 29 years. Oh, all right. It was right before my daughter was born. Right. My oldest daughter is now. Yes. Hard to believe. 20, 28 years old. Yes. My oldest is uh, buying a home. Mine just did. Oh, she did. Congrats. Maybe. I don't know. What do you mean? It's scary. Well, not for me. It's just part of growing up. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was talking to my daughter because I helped her with the home. I imagine you helped your son. You're helping your son with okay. little, Yes, a little. And she says, Dad, of my friends who have homes, I don't know anybody who was able to do, buy a house without the help from some parents. That's what she said. Interesting. She said, a handful of friends that already home, well, not already, she's 28, that own home. She says, I don't know any who didn't get some help from their friends. And Interesting. I thought, how much more challenging it is today than, say, 30 years ago or 60 years ago or whatever. Yes. It's, uh, I, I don't know if it's just geography dependent or just life in general. Do you think it's geography dependent? Yeah, I th- I think to st- some professions pay relatively the same regardless of where you live, and you can have a very nice lifestyle in a different part of different yes. parts of the country as opposed to living in New York City or downtown San Francisco. Which, or- by the way, um, has a massive impact on commercial real estate in large cities because companies are now realizing that people will work for less if they work remotely in a less expensive place. Or in a less expensive place. Or work remotely in a less expensive place, so therefore the companies can pay them less and they will still take the jobs. That's exactly. Well, particularly now, the employment market's changed quite a bit in the last year. So you used to compete for a job 10 years ago if you were some something that was acquired in office. You competed with the people in your geography. That's exactly right. And now, it, and now it's, it's the equivalent of onshoring where the companies were offshoring years ago because they could get lower labor costs in certain parts of the world. Now they're realizing, eh, we can do the same thing with American workers by having them work in, you know, small town, middle America. There's a lot of people who are willing to take a lesser pay to go elsewhere to, to, for a standard of living, uh, which actually might be higher yeah, so it's interesting. So we, our studio here is in Folsom, California, Northern California. We're a suburb of Sacramento. And I've lived in this community 30 years, roughly, a couple more years, like 30 years, um, and kind of watched the region grow. But there's been a lot of people over the years that they would choose to get a job in the Bay. Actually, a couple of weeks ago at Super Bowl, I'm talking to a buddy of mine. He says he was getting up at 5 a.m. the next morning to drive to um, Silicon Valley for work. And he says he goes down there uh, like Monday and Tuesday and works remote because life's quality of life and life's style is so much less expensive 
in the Folsom region compared to Silicon Valley. And the point being, three and a half hour drive is in commercial real estate. We're seeing massive disruptions in New York, San Francisco, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, because of this change in work where some of the commercial real estate high rises in San Francisco are down 70% from their high 70% in or more. Yeah. And so when you think about diversification in your portfolio, you think, holy smokes, who could have ever, ever predicted a pandemic would change a cultural shift in how employees consume uh, their work environment. Who, who just like, and so I know my friend, like even our company, we've been trying to get people to come in back to four days a week. And there are some people that work in the office five days a week. There are others. Maybe there are one day. I mean, right. They do good work. They're like, yeah, Sorry, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Like, and you're Whoa. like, okay. <laughs> but so it it goes back to, so I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who he said, you know, the commercial real estate people that are in the commercial real estate believe that many of them believe that this is like, there shouldn't be a place for equities if you can do commercial real estate. And there's people in equities that say there shouldn't be a place in commercial real estate if you can do equities. And I say, an asset is an asset is an asset. And you could get exposure to reach real estate investment trusts, traded, 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 not non-traded that are sold to you by salespeople. But the point of diversification is to protect yourself from things that there, Pat, there are, there was an article just the other day about uh, someone who had very large wealth a couple of years ago. And you think about this. So it's, I, I had a run the other uh, couple of days ago with a buddy of mine who's um, he was in banking as most of his career. And then now he's he's does private lending like this whole shadow banking that's emerged the last decade. A lot, yes. a lot of these commercial loans are not through banks anymore. They're through these private lenders that sometimes are syndicated and sell them off in little pieces or whatnot. The loans on on these and um, just talking to him, We were talking about the challenge with a lot of these loans it's not like a mortgage. You buy a, you get a, buy a house, you put 20% down, you get a mortgage. And it's one, fixed. One, you've got a fixed rate. Two, it doesn't matter if your home goes up 30% in value or down 50% in value. It doesn't matter how many rooms you're occupying or not occupying. As long as you're keeping up on your property taxes and insurance, they're good. And paying your mortgage. Like you, 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 there's nothing that the bank can do to say, I don't like you anymore. We want your house. It's different in commercial mortgages. So a typical commercial mortgage will have a couple things. One is the interest rate is usually fixed for a short period of time, five years, seven years, maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years, pretty rare. But it's usually a shorter period of time. And then it resets. Yes. Secondly, there are what are called covenants, which mean that the landlord, the owner of the building who had taken on the mortgage and typically signs a personal guarantee on it states that one, we're going to have a certain amount of occupancy in the building Two, our rent rolls are going to be a certain amount. So we were going to, we're going to collect X dollars for rent and uh, three, we'll make sure that we always have at least say 20% equity or 30% equity, some amount of equity in the building. And if they miss the covenants, 
they have to come up with cash. Or they'll call the loan completely. Or they might, if it's way underwater, well, the lender might extend and pretend, right? I mean, yeah. try to milk this, keep this thing going on. So uh, I, I heard, it's the same guy was telling about the story. This was an, an office building in Marin County. He said three years ago, three years ago, it sold for $72 million. The mortgage was roughly 50% of the value. Okay, $35 million. Went into default. Went to auction. The note sold for $8 million. No. Yep. So That's the kind of bloodbath because no one's, there's almost no one lending. Yeah, yeah. so you, you, you've got to be cash buyer. $8 million. $8 million. And that person that bought it needs to be very patient. Because they're either going to cut the rates, which, by the way, creates a spiral, right? So now that person that bought it for $8 million, cut what rates? They could cut their rent rates in oh. order to keep the building full, which actually then causes— The building was pretty, wasn't very full at all. Yes. But, <laughs> so, but, but for $8 million, you could charge— Which is the problem, right? So this guy buys a building, probably some family, maybe a few families coming together, thinking they're being conservative, just a 50% mortgage. They only have 50%. But yet the value fell almost nine. So the new the new buyer goes in there and says, "Hey, I don't actually need that much of a return in order to justify my eight million dollar purchase. I'm going to lower my rents, which then causes the so rents in the whole geography well, to go down. They're going to want to fill up the the like this is great. Yeah, we only have an eight. We only paid eight million bucks for the building. Small I can, loan. I'll reduce rent fifty percent. What do we care? Yes, and it creates a spiral. But the point being. You're going to own assets in your portfolio that you're going to be unhappy with because you're going to compare them with other assets, right? So bonds, what, last year, you were unhappy with. Last year was a wash. The year prior. The year you you were unhappy with, right? And you're going to compare them and you say, why don't I own more of this or why don't I own more of that? But the idea behind diversification, and I hate to say it, is that you should be unhappy with about a third of your portfolio yeah, at any one time. You I sh- think there's a second thing to pay on this this particular story, though, is debt. Debt. There's no such thing as a free lunch. When you take on debt, you need to understand what the implications are. And actually, I don't think this is an extreme story I've told at all. I think this, this is going to be happening all across the United States. Yes. I remember years ago counseling uh, the a group of dentists decided to um, become in the development business. And so they, they bought some land and built a couple gyms and then the financial crisis hit and they weren't able to sell the memberships like they thought. And suddenly what happened is they had these personal guarantees, which are very common. Yes. And what went from nice secure finances Secure retirement. They were tended, you know, dentists yeah. tend to do, they were all independent, all did fairly well. They, they went, most of them went into bankruptcy. Not, not even past the capital call. They just, well, there was no way they could come up with it, but um, they were so they far into water. So, just like this building, this example of this building. That's, it is. And that was, so the point being for that long story is <laughs> diversification. It's diversification. You should, I, I, I'm just, when you look at the portfolio, if you're 
disappointed with about a third of the things that you own yeah, at any point right. in time. And you know why you own them. What it is, is every asset class goes through its own little market cycle and it all doesn't happen in tandem. So what very you hate, rarely happens in tandem. So what you hate today, probably tomorrow's winner. And what winner today, maybe tomorrow's loser. That's right. Same thing with you look at different. The reason their index funds, Pat's have grown so much is because uh, people look at these investment performances from individuals and they're like, well, yeah, you did really great the last five years, but just because you were a top performer the last five years doesn't give us an indication that you will be the next five years. And in fact, typically, the only reason they had overperformance is they happened to own those types of asset classes that were outperformers. And just by maybe pure luck. Uh, right. <laughs> or that's the bias that that particular manager had. Right. But they're not going to be this. They're not going to be able to switch into the next Scott, set of outperformers. Think about the Janus funds in the late 19, uh, 1997, 98. Yeah. Right? Then they all blew up. All of them. Anyway. I don't think that name exists anymore, does it? I don't know. Janice Henderson? Not to disparage the company, or I'm sure they've got it some It was just their asset there. classes that they were, they were prone to. Well, usually when something's on fire, look, these are businesses too. They go through market cycles. And they try to raise uh, capital. There's, hey, look how good we're doing here. Look at a five-star fund. Open for, you know, we're going to close it soon. Bring, bring your assets in. All that kind of stuff. All right, we're going to take some calls. Let's go to uh, Deanna. Deanna, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Good morning. How are you? We're fantastic, Deanna. Thank you. Hey, so my question is on inherited IRAs. Um, I actually have received um, two IRAs at, that are being held at two different companies. And when, and, did, when did you inherit uh, these? Um, just last year. Okay. 22. All right. And, and yeah. it was not a spouse? No, it was a parent. Okay. Um, and so one of the investment companies has told, and my, my parent was already receiving his required minimum distributions. Yep. Um, and so one investment company told me I don't have to take required minimum distributions as long as the account is empty in 10 years. And the other one insists on sending me required minimum distribution. So I'm looking for. <laughs> so here's what, the challenge. What the was, which tax? Which tax act was that, Pat? It was. Uh, so tax law. It was one of the tax packages. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. So this just this is a recent change because in the past it used to be you can stretch a, a, an inherited IRA over your life expectancy. So like. My, my that father, was five my years father, ago. My father you passed away four years ago. Small IRA, and I'm taking out as little as I can, and it's based over my life expectancy, which is much longer than ten years. I hope, but no, statistically right. it is right based on the chart. And but it, the the laws change, but there's still some questions in there that we're all waiting for the uh, Treasury to give clarification on. Right. So, so what do I do between here? So 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 what so what what we should be doing is let's think about the things that we can control, right? Which okay. is how old are you? Uh, sixty-two. And are you currently employed? Yes. And how much are these IRAs? Um. Couple hundred. Okay, so two hundred thousand dollars. 
Okay. Yeah. So two hundred thousand dollars. Are you contributing to your four hundred one k? Um, four fifty seven and four hundred three b or something like that. Five hundred three b, something like that. Okay. And are you doing the maximum? Yes. You are. And your spouse? Yes. Are you married? Yes, my spouse is retired. Okay. Do you think your income is going to be significantly less in the future? Your taxable income? No. You think it's going to be higher? Well, um, you've got 20-some thousand that's going to be dropping through. Right. Like, what's that's the point? What My question is, yeah, so so let's pretend like um, you, have two, two, you have two financial institutions and they have two different interpretations of the law that's been somewhat murky. And I, I, look, I'm, not, I'm speaking, I, there, could have been a, there could have been some clarifications Department of Treasury recently that I don't know about, and, but I'm just saying, here's what's, this isn't the only situation that we've had things like this um, from okay. this particular uh, a tax bill regarding inherited IRAs. Uh, but you still might be better off taking out one-tenth every year because what you don't want to do is leave this Let's say that you just let it all grow, and suddenly it's the tenth year, and this two hundred thousand is now worth three fifty, and you got to cash it in. Now you've got three hundred fifty thousand dropping on your tax return uh, on one year, which was where exactly where I was going with this is. Look, you know that this thing needs to be empty in ten years. Do we? Can we agree on that? Yes. Okay. So the question is, how do we actually phase that emptying of that over the next ten years? When do you plan on retiring? In the next couple of years. And your income will stay the same in retirement as it is while you're working? I think so because I'm putting, you know, the maximum into the deferrals right now. Well, then it's a wash. I would take it over the 10, ten years. I wouldn't, okay. wouldn't want to defer just because right. the way the tax system works, it's, pro- it's so progressive and steep. So... Our, your taxes on these inherited IRAs for people could go anywhere from zero because of standard deductions uh, up to 37%. So the first few dollars we have coming into the households tax at 10%, then the next chunks tax at 12%, then 22%, then 24%, then 32%, then 35%, then 37%. And? And then the, you live in the state of California, so that's anywhere from zero to thirteen point three percent. So what we would hate to have happen? Let's assume that you're in a, a tax bracket where you're in the twenty. Let's say you're in the twenty-two percent tax bracket, which is actually a very large tax bracket for the feds. I'd much rather see you take these distributions over ten years and remain in that twenty-two percent tax bracket than to defer and then the tenth year suddenly you're paying at thirty-seven percent. Okay. Right. So this idea so it doesn't of, really matter what the rule is. Then it's yeah, just well, better to take it. Well, in your situation, yeah, and we know it has to be empty in ten years. Much different than your four hundred one k four fifty seven four hundred three b. Right. You've got room right. to play with that, but this you don't have any room to play with. So what you do is you put the maximum you can into every tax deferral while you're taking income from this because it will wash at that point in time. Okay. Right. So All right. That's why. It is what it is, but look, you need to take it out over the 10-year period. You need to start taking the distribution, regardless of what they're saying. You know, you could leave it there until 10 years, but you'd hate to voluntarily pay more income tax. Well, maybe you'd like that, voluntarily pay more no. income tax. 
nope, nope, nope. No, I don't like that at all. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what you want to do. All right. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Appreciate Glad the call. And it's Pat, it, <laughs> it's hard to la- keep trying. I, I think it was last week that someone called about this uh, uh, backdoor Roth conversion, right, where you do excess after-tax contributions to your 401k. Just some loophole that – and. It this like no one actually Congress no one in Congress ever said let's design uh, good retirement policy with tax law. It's all I mean the four hundred one k that that came not because it was des- someone designed a retirement plan. It was a, fin- a financial professional was reading the the this subsection four hundred one k k and said wait a minute. We can set up a payroll-deducted retirement account based upon these rules. Yeah. That's how the 401k came to be, right? wasn't like Congress said, let's... Then they said, well, we better put some limits on it. And if you build a, these IRAs. If it, you built a house like oh, you designed oh tax law, no one would live no, in it. it'd be a disaster. <laughs> Which is why tax planning has become so important to, to overall financial planning and wealth management. And retirement planning. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have a team of CPAs whose job, in large part, is to help with the tax planning to ensure that we're maximizing where we where we can maximize. And yes, because the look, when you're talking about the difference between giving, well, most people aren't in a ten percent bracket, but a lot, the majority of Americans are in twelve percent. Actually, half Americans don't pay any income taxes, but they don't have any dollars saved. It doesn't really. So let's talk about people that have dollars saved. Even people with dollars saved, a lot of them are in a 12% tax bracket. And the right kind of planning means we either pay 12% or up to 37%. Which is exactly, this question was, who was right? And our answer was, it doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't matter. Because what we do know, and And we're waiting for clarification. We implied that she had a pension coming because she mentioned the 457, which meant state employee or some sort of government employee. And, Yes, we did imply that. I implied that, and I, I did. You I, did, I, as I well. did as well. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like there was going to be a couple of years of planning where there was no income. Yeah, twice she was comf- comfortable that her income would be the same. Anyway, all right, let's continue on with calls here. We're talking with Brian. Brian, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, Scott and Pat. Hi, Brian. Love the show. I listen Thank every you. Saturday to the to the podcast. Awesome. I enjoy it. Um, I got a question that's maybe your view as, as financial advisors and parents could be helpful. Um, you know, I had lunch with my dad a couple of weeks ago and, and, uh, we were talking about finances and, and he was saying how him and my mom would like to help me maybe purchase a home, whether it be for personal or, or investment. Um, he's helped my older brothers with, with home purchases and they want to kind of equalize it, which okay. I appreciate. Yeah. It's pretty normal. And, uh, and, um, he's pretty keen for me to invest in real estate, but my investment style has been saving as much as I can and investing in index funds. And so I don't know if he's biased towards real estate. So do you already I'm own a home? Diverse. No. How old are you? 38. Have you owned a home in the past? No, I've just rented um, just to keep my my housing costs as low as possible so I can put away, you know, eventually I got to a good 
emergency savings and then eventually good 401k. And by then houses were rather expensive and I'm not, uh, I'm not married, no kids. And then I like, recently I like to travel. So I'm out of the country could be three to six months a year. Ah, ah, that changes things. Yeah. yeah. And so when you move out of the comp- country, do you keep your rental or do you give it up? Uh, last time I kept it for about three months, but this time I'm thinking it's time to move on anyway, and I'm going to get rid of it. Are you, and you're gainfully employed? Yes. And I can work remote and, uh, I'm able to kind of do I don't get this lifestyle. <laughs> oh, no. Where did I go wrong? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> so you sit down on an island and you actually have like a, a Photoshop bookshelf behind you when there's really a and beach? Brian, you said you're 37? 38. 38. And what's your income ballpark from your employment? 150000 And what do you have saved? Everything. Um, everything, 430,000, 300 of which is retirement tax advantage and the rest is money market and, and index funds. I hear that you don't want to buy a home. Yeah. Why would you want to buy a home? Yeah, I don't. So it's like, do I convince my dad that, you know, this is my strategy? I certainly appreciate the funds and my, my thought would be to invest most of the money into a VTI and. And maybe yeah, how, take how old is your dad to fund travel? He's uh, uh, seventy four and it, well, they're they're pretty well set for their retirement. They're not I'm doing this for state tax purposes, then. They want to even out. No. They gifted their other. Yeah, two they kids. want to give to. And what do you think of getting a rental home? You know, I I think it's kind of like I work in real yeah. estate as an accountant and. It's kind of like chefs and restaurants. They don't cook all day and then go home and make elaborate meals. And I think when I get home, I'm just tired of looking at real estate. And I prefer, you know, my strategies to focus on my time on my career travel and and then passive investing versus most people I talk to don't like being a landlord. Yeah, I don't like being a landlord. (laughs) I can live with it. And, you, and then the house, you, and then uh, I mean, at my index funds, I don't have to put no, I get furniture it. in them. I you know, it's funny. So I'm going to tell you. So tax. this. So um, two days ago, I'm on a walk with my wife, and I said to her, "Actually, I'm on a walk with my wife, and I got a text from a property manager. Uh, can you please call me?" And I, like, is the house on fire? Right. And I text back, and the washer was broken, and he thought it's time to get a new washer and dryer. Your right. mutual fund never calls you. <laughs> I said right. to my wife, and it's been a good investment for but I said to my wife, I really love equities. And I said, the one, I, here's the conversation we had. You had this conversation with your wife on a walk. She barely tolerated it, but yes. I was How romantic. To, <laughs> no, well, and, and I said, one of the benefits about getting a little older, you're still quite young. You don't really remember. You didn't remember the pain of the financial crisis. One of the benefits of getting older, you've lived through all these cycles. And you see that companies, the values of companies continue to grow. And when you look over the long-term return, you mentioned VTI, the total stock market index. You look at the long-term return of stocks. It's about six to seven percentage points above that of the rate of inflation. It's hard to replicate that in any other asset class. It is. Real estate, rental, anything. It is. 
And so, and it never calls you and says and, the washer's And there's broken. no leverage in there, so the downside risk isn't as great. Correct. So, um, just tell you, I, yeah. I would have a conversation, my, like, I'd have a conversation with your dad and say, look, my lifestyle's a little unconventional. Um, but I'm happy. I'm assuming you're happy. I would love to take these dollars and and invest them for the long term for my own financial security, just like my brother's financial, but in a slightly different way. And I'd take it one step further. I would take a clip of this show and say, hey, I talked to these guys that I listened to their podcast, <laughs> and this is what they said. And, and quite frankly your dad may know it. And by the way, that's the only way we're gaining listeners is one at a time, <laughs> but it might, it might change his view of the world enough that says, Oh, okay. Well, my son's taking this seriously. And he reached out to these financial professionals that manage, you know, $20 billion and they kind of under 19 billion and they kind of understand it. So here's, here's where you go, dad, uh, and see where it lands. It, but, but quite frankly, if, if I had a child like yours that said to me, this is what I'd like to do, I would, I'd say, okay, makes sense. So, yeah. And so I have four kids, 20, 28, 26, 16, and 13, right? Same wife, just a big spread. My oldest daughter, I just helped with the purchase of her first house. And I told my son, who's 26, uh, I said, hey, two years from now, maybe sooner, but Two years from now, actually it might be then the next year before the tax laws change. <laughs> Two years from now, I'm going to do something similar for you. But I already know he's just a different kind of guy. And for him, he's probably not going to want to buy a house. At least at that point in time. At that point in time. So I'll probably structure something different for him. Hopefully, he'll allow me to coach him some because this is my profession um, but to help guide him in what to do but i don't think it would be buying a home for him but i would still feel i still feel the desire to make to let that ha something that has similar economic value to that child yeah, so he doesn't feel like i'm paying playing favorites and i don't want to play favorites and i want to help him uh, get launched in life so brian so that's the answer to the question i have a couple questions for you <laughs> of these places you've traveled and worked what was your favorite Oh, recently it would probably be Malaga, Spain. Although I almost don't want people to find out about it, but that was really is that really the good. southern tip? Yeah, that's in the southern tip. You can take a ferry to Africa, just about. But uh, but uh, yeah, great weather has the old town, has the beach. Got I've everything. actually been to Malaga. All right, yeah. second favor. Second favorite. Well, where do you uh, plan on going quite, next? Lisbon was quite good. I like Lisbon. Lisbon. Great I've never been to Lisbon. That's, it's getting like a little it. overcrowded, but it was, it was quite it's, good. Yeah, it's quite and the, the next, American. Next stop's Italy. And where? Where in Italy? Yeah. Uh, starting in Milan because the flight path is good from Sacramento, where I am. But uh -huh. uh, and hop on a train and go go wherever looks good. Maybe towards the south. And where's your Where's your next place you're going? That's what the, Milan is. Oh, Milan. That's, that's the next Milan. place. Yeah. Yeah. Good for really? you. Listen, live it. Yeah. As my yeah. kids would say, that boy can send it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's more of a, like a ski term. Yes. Yeah. But okay. it goes in life too. <laughs> you, like live it. My kids have that tattooed on the side of their foot and their cousins do. Send it. Do they really? Yeah. Send it. 
That's got to, that had to be. And I, I told my wife I'd want to do it just to have a Le Bond with my kids. I would do it other than it sounds grossly painful <laughs> to get your foot tattooed. I have no tattoos. I appreciate Thanks, the call, Brian. Yeah. It's got to be painful. Oh, but it can't be that painful. If your foot tattooed? It can't, I mean, come on. A, I don't have any. A variety of different pains. I would, I will pay for that tattoo, Scott. Just because I think you'd be funny with a tattoo. <laughs> I had a conversation the other day with again with my wife on it because she's opposed to it. And I told her Christmas, I said, what did she want for Christmas? I said, I want to send a tattoo to the side of my foot. Okay. <laughs> it's just totally out of character for me. I understand. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, it's 100% out of character. <laughs> but I think my kids would really They're get a like, kick out of it. Dad's like, they would get a kick dad out of it. Dad gets it. Their dad, and, and I'm a quite avid skier, and I ski with my kids. And, and so you send I it. I can send it. You actually. can send it. Not like many people can send it. <laughs> yes. My son just broke his hand uh, snowboarding. Had to put a pin in it. Oh, really? My youngest, yeah. Two weeks, three weeks? Three weeks ago. I was on a trip to Alaska years ago, and my buddy slipped on ice walking and broke his hand. And one of the guys on our trip was an orthopedist, and we went to the local town, a little dock-in-the-box thing. Really? They let him set his hand, and they set the cast so that he could hold a ski pole. Can you... Right? And so he... he and you the continue the trip? Yes. He should have sent it. If anyone should have sent a tattoo, holy smokes! Yeah, I always travel with an orthopedist. <laughs> that's just where. That's how I roll. You know, seen this last call though. I have a. I've got a friend of mine who's uh, roughly my age. Um, I'm late fifties. Uh, he has no children, single guy, and he his lifestyle is very similar. And I'll call him sometimes, and he'll be. I, last I talked to him, he was in Australia, and last year he was in he was in Spain for a few months. He was in uh, Croatia for a few months, and he'll rent these houses for like three months at a time. And just and he's okay being by himself, obviously. He's a sing. He's never been married. Yeah, so I figure see, he's, that's, <laughs> he's a yeah. certain kind of personality, you, right? Yes, yes. I, I mean, it sounds really exciting, and but I couldn't I've do known, it. I've known for 20-some years, and he's always said he would really, he'd kind of like to be married. I'm thinking, I don't think you really would. <laughs> that's what you say. Because <laughs> you probably would be. <laughs> My guess is you've dated a few nice women over the years. Yes. When you're 57. It's not them, it's you. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. And, but, it, I, you know, it's interesting. You just kind of look every once in a while, you're like, wow, that seems like a really, I like our last call, that seems like a really interesting lifestyle. I don't sure, not sure I'd really want I, that. I could not do it. Yeah. I know that for a right. fact. Hey, we're going to uh, talk now to one of our, uh, this is our regional, our regional director, advisor, Brian James, in our Cincinnati office. Uh, Brian's a certified financial planner, um, uh, again, leads our Cincinnati office, and been with us for a number of years. Uh, Brian, thanks for thanks for taking some time to join us. Hey, you bet. Always enjoy it. Yeah, so... Um, we have these conversations occasionally uh, with some of our advisors like yeah. to kind of like, what's financial planning look like in the real world versus someone just calling a radio show slash podcast and getting short That's interactions. Exactly right. Yeah. These are actual clients. Like what, what the problem was, what happened. So. What were the solutions? What was the outcome? Oftentimes we have no idea what the outcome is with the advice that we give. We just assume it's all perfect. But. <laughs> So, so uh, uh, Brian, I know one. You worked with some uh, medical professional professionals employed by a big hospital chain. Um, tell us about that that story and what was going on there. Yeah, sure. So, so it was. It's a very interesting case. She's uh, she she does a, some, a little bit on the side for for various uh, organizations. She's an uh, anesthesiologist, so she does some 
She had her own practice on the side, and she works as part of a large hospital. And everybody knows about this. It's all in the up and up. It's just kind of complicated and confusing. So for her own practice, she's basically a small business, and that opens up a number of opportunities. Uh, there are really cool things you can do in that case. Uh, if, you, if you are your own uh, sole practice and you don't have any employees, you can do something that's called a solo K or a, an individual 401K, which can allow you to put uh, you know up to $70,000 uh, in the right situation away uh, pre-tax if you want to. Yeah, and this is for uh, – these also, are self-employed people, right, that, that can do – because sometimes people look at a SEP IRA and think that's the limit or whatnot. But these solo Ks, they allow you to do the same kind of contribution limits as – um, like a, a profit sharing plan would have you established for yourself. So this, but this was, exactly. a, was this a side business for her? Yes, this was a side business. The same thing. She just did what she did doing anesthesiology for, you know, for, for some local practices Got as it. well as what she did for the hospital. So, so she's pretty common. Some wrinkles. Yeah. Which is, and by yes, the way, exactly. for anesthesiology, it's pretty common that you would belong to a group and then you, uh, you do some time in these uh, skincare or. Yeah. A little you know, surgery centers, surgery centers all over the place. So, when you went to her, was was the discussion that she wanted to save more? Was it taxes? Um, did you fit, consider a defined benefit pension plan, or was that too much? So here's how these conversations start, right? You you, you asked about uh, you know what is it like real world financial planning. Most people don't know the questions that they should be asking. They just know that they have a bunch of stuff happening and they're probably missing opportunities because they haven't taken the time to learn about them. So yes, we absolutely uh, uh, looked at all of those different options: defined benefit pension plan, uh, sticking with a simple SEP IRA, maybe if she wanted to keep it super simple. But in her case, uh, she wasn't going to be working that much longer, and uh, they. They also have some other things, right? It's not all about how can I stuff a bunch of money in my 401k. They also had investment properties and kids getting through college, so they needed some cash flow now. So that ruled out the defined, bench, uh, defined benefit plan. And uh, just but for, for them, just the solo K was a great compromise. A defined benefit plan, here's how it can work really well for particularly someone who's nearing retirement with no employees. Because you can say, you know, what if I had a pension that promised me $30,000 a year in retirement and you're 55 years of age? Well, you just run the numbers. How much do I need to set aside in this retirement plan to fund 30,000? And it might be 150 grand a year, which yep. if it's all your income, it's all your income. It enables you to f shove boatloads into retirement plans for the right circumstances. It really does. Yeah. yeah it, it, and yeah, the, it, it's the time value calculation, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Of present value, what can I put in now to create a pension for myself who's going to retire in three, four, five years, which if you've got the cash flow to support it if and you, you don't have a bunch of employees to worry about, That's then it can work great. Too in big her ifs. case, lots of, yeah, lots of other obligations. Got it. And, and so for the rest of the listeners, if you're self-employed, Late in your career, looking to really stock away some money quickly you in your income, options. you have a lot of options. The the self um, the pension plan is a little defined benefit pension plan. It's a little bit more expensive administratively, but it I've seen it work beautifully um, for this. Yeah, you basically situation. need an actuary in the mix to make sure you're doing the yeah. calculations right. This is not something you're going to do on TurboTax on well, your own. This is why all the financial people have careers. We have a we have a, a, a division that specializes in that. That's right. Our, That's right. Out of our Phoenix office, Scottsdale office. That's why we exist. Go figure. <laughs> so, and then how much was she able to put away? Oh, in her case, so she ended up going with the individual K because that allowed her to accomplish her other goals that had nothing to do with any of this. So in her case, it, it's up to $70,000, uh, depending on how much she makes. 
So another concern she had was she wanted to slow down a little bit. She can control the throttle on her career. Uh, and she's hit a point where she wants to be backing off a little bit. So that will limit that 70000 if she if she wants to, but that's now her choice. But she's got a much higher ceiling than she did before when she only had a SEP IRA. So it's essentially any work that she's doing outside of the hospital system is going 100% to her retirement. Exactly. That's exa- yeah. If that's the way she wants to run it, she can change that year to year, yeah. but it also has to be coordinated with her uh, her hospital's benefit plans, too. You can't have 10 jobs and max out all the 401ks. The IRS caught on to that a while ago. Yeah. So whatever she contributes in her employer, excluding the match, whatever employer match, yep. that's um, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Tell us about another client situation. You got. Sure. So moving on, then the, the other one I had some fun with here uh, was uh, this is another case. A little younger couple, both professional, uh, decent income, uh, making about uh, three hundred fifty between the two of them. I would say that's and decent had, income, Brian. I don't. Know. That's very decent income. They're doing 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 quite well. Which that brings with it questions, right? So it answers a lot of questions, but it brings a whole set of new ones, which is we could be doing other things. What are the things we should be doing? I don't know. We should go talk to somebody. And that's how they came to me. Uh, They were at a point where the kids were getting bigger and the house was getting smaller, seemingly. And they were starting to think about, well, maybe we're bored with this neighborhood. Maybe we need to go buy a bigger house just to kind of change things up a little bit. But they knew that was going to have a cost to it. So we ran a financial plan to say, look, yeah, you can afford this. This is not a question of can you. It's a question of should you meaning what sacrifices will you have to make to get there? Because it's got to come from somewhere. So we basically said your jobs are going to stay the same, but you have a bigger expense monthly. Where will that come from? So we had to reduce the what they were putting away into their 401ks and 529s to account for a larger mortgage payment. And we ran the numbers that way. And in the end, they decided, you know what? A bigger house will make us happier in the short run, but it won't be that long, six, seven years before the kids are all up and out of the house anyway. And now we have a great big gigantic house with too many bedrooms. So what their thought was, after doing all of that, the decision was, let's continue to, to focus on the savings. We'll just live with the house now. It's not that bad. That and then we'll focus on our retirement home when the kids are gone. That, it, it, it's because they had trouble seeing what the cost of the bigger house is going to be, right? And exactly. when you sat with them and ran the numbers and said, here's how many more years you're going to need to work. I would imagine that was one of the... Here's the sacrifice you will need to make in order to... Buy this bigger house. Well, here's because if you reduce your savings for retirement, here's what this means for your retirement. Which I gotta, I gotta, I gotta admit this. I grew up in a family with five kids, um, and I always people are like, I need a bigger house, and I'm like, uh, I don't think that's a need. Because <laughs> yeah. the house it I grew been, up in with, this particular case, yeah, in this particular case, it would have set up arguments in the future because they would have not, it wouldn't have mattered eventually, and they would have started talking about we shouldn't have bought this house five years ago. We should have done something different because now we have a big house that we have to sell, and maybe or maybe not the market is conducive to selling. And you know, time, it's in, so. they're making three fifty, and they're probably thinking this is what people who make three fifty are supposed to do. Yeah, well, they they see it. They see people. Their friends are moving right. to different neighborhoods. Everybody's bored in their current home. <laughs> I need something shiny to look at. Yeah, and after several months, it yeah. they feel the same. Which the previous home? <laughs> yeah, it's because they moved with the house. Um, it's but the point being is, it's really important that you can do what if scenarios in financial planning, where you could actually Absolutely. say this is what will happen if you make this move. This is what will happen if you stay where you're at. Oh, and by the way, you did them a a large favor, quite frankly, by getting that off the plate. Like they knew the cost associated with that. 
you guys, before I'll tell you I my, my absolute that. favorite moment when I, as a financial planner, my favorite moment is when I have talked uh, a client through all the pros and cons. Here's option A, B, and C, and here's the pros and cons of each one. And they understand it enough where in the case of a married couple, as soon as they stop looking at me and they look at each other, then I know I've done my job and they understand what their options are. And now they're going to talk about which one they're going to choose. That is the absolute best feeling in the world. Thank you. Well, yeah, and yeah, I totally agree with you, Brian. <laughs> thanks, thanks for taking a little time to to be with us. It's interesting, Pat. Um, we 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 really focus on education. We've been doing this radio program for a long time, right? Do a lot of webinars, seminars about education, and it's to Brian's point. It's like when people can understand their situation, their situation, then they're empowered to make wise choices for themselves, regardless of what their neighbors are doing. That's right. What's going to make the most sense for them. So uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I'd never heard that before. That's probably true. The sin of comparison. Always look into your neighbor. Yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy. I read that quote. I wish I remembered who said it. Well, hey, it's been great being here with everyone this weekend. Glad you took the time to uh, be part of Allworth's Money Matters. If you like this program, please do us a favor. Give us a review or forward on to someone that you think could benefit from it. We'll see you next week. This has been Scott Hansen and Pat McClain. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.